Have your Bibles go ahead and turn to the book of Titus. We're in Titus chapter 1. I took my wife's bulletin. She'll want that back. And uh, last week we began a series in Titus titled, Who is a Church Member? Or, yeah, Who is a Church Member? And we're using the word church member synonymously with believer because nowhere in the New Testament do we see um, a believer um, really apart from the life of a local church. And so uh, we began last week and we're looking at really what Paul's strategy is for the church. And we saw the centrality of the word of God, how central it is to the church. Uh, Paul's strategy was preach the word. And it was through preaching, people are saved. Through preaching, people are transformed into godliness. Through preaching, people have a greater hope for the return of Jesus. Everything focusing back to the power of God's word. And now, uh, Paul, uh, he doesn't emphasize the preaching of God's word uh, because he's found it to be effective in reaching people, but because he, he uses it because it's the God-ordained means in which God um, saves us and makes us more like himself. And so as he's talking um, about how he has approached the church, how he has used the preaching of the word to establish the church, he's now also preparing the church for when uh, the time of the apostles will kind of be over, those who have personally been commissioned by the risen Jesus Christ, and it will be handed over now to another type of leaders called elders. And so we're going to be looking at elders today. We're going to be looking at who elders are, what they do, and how they use the word, and uh, just the purpose of them within the local church. And so one of the things that we do is we stand for the reading of God's word. And so we're going to be in Titus chapter 5, uh, chapter 1, and we're going to read just as verses 5 through 9. So if you'd like to stand with us, originally we were going to do the rest of the entire chapter, uh, but kind of broke this sermon up uh, into two sections as of yesterday. So verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be, he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Let's pray as we open this word today. Father, be with us now as we look at your word, as we study your word. Last week we see that, God, you use your word for the establishment of the church, the growth of the church, the saving of believers. And so, Father, today as we now continue to look at your word and we see the role of elders, help us to understand the role of elders. Help us to understand your word. Help us to understand God, how you're calling us as a church, how you're calling your church to function, to live in this world, in the context of, of an area where, where people do not believe in absolute truth, where people do follow their own lusts. And so God, help us to understand how, uh, how your word changes us, transforms us, and the role of elders today within the church, that we might be a church making disciples who make disciples all for the glory of God. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Um, so yes, originally this was the whole message. I didn't feel like, as we were looking at it, because uh, verses 1 through 9 are kind of one section, and verses 10 through 16 kind of go to another section. I didn't feel like either section was really getting the justice due to it. So... Uh, so as of Friday, I was kind of throwing it around, and we decided, okay, we'll just divide it into two sections. So spent a great deal of time yesterday and last night kind of, kind of reworking that. 
And so, uh, so we're just going to look at verses 5 through 9. The title today is Wielding the Word. And so we're going to see how the Word is wielded uh, primarily through the role of elders within the local church. And next week we're going to look at how the Word is wielded within the local church for the protecting of the church against false teachers and what that looks like. Uh, because uh, there are many false gospels that are out there, many false gospels. And uh, if you watch TV, Many of the speakers you will see on TV are preaching a false gospel. Uh, so uh, I, I think that's so important for where we're at today that just wanted to reserve a whole time for that. So that's next week. But here today, we're going to start out, we're going to see what the mission that Titus has that Paul gave him, and then we're going to see quickly that revolves around the establishing of elders. So we'll look at the identity of elders, the character of elders, uh, the action of elders. And so in the beginning, verse 5 Paul tells Titus two reasons why he leaves him in Crete. Number one, put what remained in order. Number two, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, if you're like me, you'll kind of go, well, let's look at where he answers these questions or these points within the book of Titus. Well, it's kind of easy to see where he begins appointing elders, but it's not necessarily easy to see where he begins to put what remained into order. So my conclusion is that putting what remained into order is the appointing elders of every town, um, every local church within Crete. So I believe that that is the appointing elders is the um, explaining what it, what it means to put into order uh, based upon the entire book of Titus. And so I am an elder. An elder is a pastor. Uh, you might, uh, in here we have the word overseer. You'll see elder, over, uh, elder um, overseer, pastor, shepherd, under-shepherd. Those words are all kind of used synonymously throughout the New Testament referring to elder. And so it has been, it has been good for me to read uh, what God's Word says on, on an elder. It's been encouraging, convicting, um, very humbling this week. I think it's maybe one time, uh, one reason why it also took a while to kind of form it all. It's just been humbling reading it. But I realize most of you all, as you listen to it, are not elders, or at least hold the position of elders. And so I don't want you to think that this text is not incredibly important for you. My hope today is that you'll see, as we go through here, the necessity of elders within the local church, how God uses them for the good of the church, that together we would glorify God. And I pray that as you grow in your understanding of elders, especially men, especially men, that you would desire to, to become an elder. That's a great prayer that I have. As we go through here, that you would desire to grow into what it is to be an elder. But women, and as you'll see here, the character of an elder is the character of one who pursues Christ. So while the position of elder is reserved for men, and uh, while certain things we'll talk about kind of man focus or men isn't it, male focus, the character of an elder is very much uh, what we are all to pursue after. So as we're going through here, and we're looking primarily, and I'm going to talk about mostly as elders, because that's how Titus talks about, but also realize that not only are we looking at the role of an elder, but what it is to truly love God and to faithfully obey him through his word. And so it is applicable for all of us, so please do not believe that we're only talking about, you know, how the church functions today and and we're just talking about constitutions and those kind of things. But it's the implications of elders have, massive, or have a massive role within the church, the health of the church, the mission of the church. Um, but as you'll see, we're all called to grow in godliness, uh, that we would live lives, what we see, in similar ways to that character of an elder. So the mission of Titus, appoint elders. So we have the identity of an elder. If you look at verse 7, Paul says... Um, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. So we have this word, God's steward. What does that mean? I mean what, what does it mean when God says, you're an elder and you're going to be an overseer, or, or, or a steward for God? And the word steward means household manager, which begs the question, what's the house that the, man, that the elder is, is managing it's the church. That's what we're talking about. Paul's writing to the church, to Titus, about the church. And he's saying, I want you to appoint elders for the churches. Then he begins talking about elders. And he's saying, you're God's steward. The whole context is 
for the church. So the house is the local church, and the elder is God's manager of the local church. Now, don't think manager as in department store manager and, and those kind of things. It's different, and we'll see that as we go through here. But I think if we're not careful, we read through that part too quickly. Now, just think about this. We have God. He created everything whose hand stretches the cosmos. So when he puts out his hand, it covers everything. There's nothing that is not within his control. There's nothing that he does not sustain. And and he, God, the one who is supreme and, and controls all things, knows all things, sustains all things, uses finite, sinful people to accomplish his purposes. And within the church, the bride of Christ, he appoints sinful, finite people to manage to, to lead, lead the church, lead his bride. Like that's humbling. Like just put that into perspective, what God is, is saying here. And it's really similar to what God has been doing throughout all of Scripture. God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect purposes all throughout Scripture. And so now as, as we have the church, God doesn't say, oh, I got this now. And, and you all don't need to do anything. But now he's saying, well, actually, I'm going to go to point, point elders, point men who will help lead the church, steward the church. This is humbling. This is, it's easy just to read through that and just go, kind of, oh, that's God's steward. But especially for me, as I'm reading, I'm going, that's, that's what God's calling us to do. In Hebrews 13, 17, we're told that overseers, the elders, are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So when we talk about elders, we're talking about a weighty position for these people giving an account to God for how they stewarded, how they led his bride. <laughs> like that's humbling, isn't it? Like just think about that. It's amazing that God uses people imperfect, finite, sinful people to lead something so precious as his bride. But that's what he does. In a few moments, a few moments we're going to look at um, how we steward underneath the action of an elder. But first, let's look at the character of an elder. And in verse 6, we're going to see some household qualifications. And first, we're told, uh, if, if anyone is above reproach, and we see that again in verse 7, to be above reproach. So an elder is to be above reproach, which means blameless. This does not mean the elders are perfect and we never sin. Um, one of our elders is downstairs, Bill. I got, I got Rich and Kurt. Kurt somewhere. There he is. He's in the back. I think I can say this. I think they will all agree with me. We are sinful guys. We're not perfect. So to be above reproach does not mean we're perfect. Kurt's not perfect. Rich isn't perfect. Bill's not perfect. And I am definitely not perfect. So to be above reproach does not mean not perfect. But what it means is an elder is to have a good reputation in which no accusation can be made. It doesn't mean that they never sin, they never fail, but that even when they do so, they're seeking uh, forgiveness. They're seeking reconciliation. And it means that there's no accusation that can be made against us. The character of a leader is important. For if, if the elder's actions prove that he is deceitful and unable to, be de, de, unable to be trusted, then his message that he speaks will largely be dismissed. Why would we believe the liar? Why would we believe the thief? Why would we believe the person who has an immoral character telling us to be moral? telling us to grow into godliness. So an elder is to be above reproach because his life is a demonstration to the church of the power of God's word in living a godly life. That's what we have here. When we're talking about above reproach, we have an elder is one who because of God's word is being transformed that he would live a godly life. His life is to be a testimony into how the word of God transforms us. So when we and I'm going to say this again, I think, later, but when we look at an elder, we're talking above reproach, let us not be in awe of the man, but in awe of the God who transforms the man. Does that make sense? 
So it's not saying, wow, Nick's above reproach. Or, well, it's kind of interesting. Nick's talking that he's you know, above reproach or curtis or riches or, or Bill downstairs. Do not be in awe of me. There is nothing to be in awe of except the God who transforms all of us that we would become more like him. Next, we're told that an elder is to be the husband of one wife. We see verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now, Paul is not saying that an elder must be married. You can have single men as elders. Certainly, Paul, who's an apostle, was an elder. Some have said that Paul is saying that elders cannot be divorced. I don't believe that's the context of what's being said here. I, I believe what he's saying is that in uh, the context of what we have is, a mar- is el- an elder is to be faithful in his marriage. We're talking about the character of an elder. And we're looking at how do we live in a way with our wives that glorify God. Are we devoted? Are we faithful? So with that... Um, before one is ever made an elder, his marriage should be looked at. His marriage should be examined. It needs to be determined that he is faithful. He's committed and devoted to his wife. And if a candidate has been divorced, the church ought to be in great prayer and seeking understanding to understand why, what happened, and has that disqualified him from serving. We do need to be careful there. But again, the primary emphasis is on the faithfulness and devotion to the wife, And next we see as we go on, he says, above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children and believers are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Again, we're narrowing in on the home life of the the elder. And this is an odd sentence because it says, and his children are believers. So is the elder and his role determinative on if his children have believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, the word child here is used for, for small children. We're not talking about an 18-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old, you know, a child of someone. We're talking about someone who still lives within the house. So I have three children, Ben, Caleb, and Hannah. I almost blanked on them. It's a bad thing. Notice they all went out of order almost there. It's like, is my role as an elder depending upon them right now, knowing who Jesus Christ is as their Lord and Savior and having believed in him? That seems strange, doesn't it? Because what we saw earlier last week is that all of salvation is based upon, ultimately, upon God's grace of the elect. So that, that's hard to say, and at this age, are they supposed to be believers? I, I pray that they're growing in understanding Steph and I have talked. Where's Ben? He seems to know quite a bit. He'll give you the right answers. Hannah can give you quite a few of the answers. Caleb's praying. <laughs> He's to the point he loves to pray. Um, but the point is, is, is the word believer is, all, is the word pistos in, in Greek, and it can also mean faithful. And I, say, I, think that's a better con- I think that's better in the context and the meaning of the word is that they're faithful is they're not leaving a a reckless, rebellious life. But what they are is they're demonstrating um, their faithfulness underneath the father figure within the house, that within the house, there's not rebellion, there's not recklessness going on, but there's faithfulness within, there's love being demonstrated, there's faithfulness to the word, even if it's at a small age and they may not quite be believers yet. I think that's the context here. It seems more likely that that is what Paul is saying. But Paul's point, ultimately, as we're looking at the home life, at the marriage and parenting of an elder, is that the home is one of the primary training areas of an elder. The home is one of the primary training areas of an elder. So, again, if we have a single guy, it does not rule him out, but we would have to be careful before making him an elder. Because one of the things we see here and in 1 Timothy chapter 3, when looking at elders, is there is a narrowing in on the focus of the home life. So if we have a single person, we would have to just take extra consideration of how we are looking at the character of him. And it's something that we must carefully examine before one is made an elder. Because if he cannot manage his home, how will he help steward manage the household of God? If recklessness and rebelliousness thrive in the home, what will happen if that same leader now comes within the church and leads. 
So after this, in verse 7, Paul is going to um, give us five things that an elder is not to do. I think this is all unpacking the word above reproach. He says, do not be arrogant, quick-tempered, a drunkard, violent, or greedy. What we see an elder is to be humble and a peaceful man who lives a self-controlled life. A humble and peaceful man living a self-controlled life. Immediately after this, Paul gives six positive things that an elder is to do. Hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, discipline. Here we see an elder is one who loves to serve others. Lives, and again, lives a self-controlled, godly life. We have self-controlled in here in kind of both, both contexts of the five things not to do and the things that we are to do. Explaining to be above reproach is we don't have a man here who's living in rebellion, living recklessly, but he lives in accordance to the word of God. Now, potentially, as we reading these, you might be saying, wow, I could never be an elder. Character qualifications are too high. So I just, I just want to address that. Number one, let our response be to the glory of God and the power of his word. When we're talking about elders Let's, let's, again, be in awe of God who transforms the man, not the man. Because context here, we're in Crete. Now, Crete is one of the most immoral places in all the earth. Um, one of the philosophers, Epimenides, in verse 12 says, All Cretes, all these people are always liars, lazy gluttons, and evil beasts. That's, that's how one of their own describes themselves. And so, so Paul's telling Titus, go into this place where there's a bunch of Cretans, which we all know, we've heard of that word, it comes from here, so the word is carried on thousands of years, that's how immoral these people were, and say, go in among these Cretans and appoint elders. So, go in where all these people are, are liars, they're lazy, they're gluttons, they're, they're evil beasts, and they didn't even have evil beasts on the, where they live. There are no evil beasts. The people took the role. Like, that's how evil they are. So this is just horribly, a horrible context of people that live here. And, God, and Paul's saying, now go get some elders out of there. Really? Like, could you just imagine Titus going, so I see what you're saying, Paul. However, you kind of forgot where we're at. We're not in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was amazing. Like, those people were just like growing in the word. But we're in Crete here. That doesn't work here. But rather... The reason Paul can say that is because a church has been established because of the preaching of the word, and as the word has continually been preached, people are being transformed. So the very fact that Paul is telling Titus to appoint elders is not a point is not meaning for us to go, wow, these Cretans, they've they've glor- they've you know uh, seek forgiveness. Sorry, mind is going. They've seek forgiveness. They've, they're growing in godliness. Wow, look at them. No, it's Wow, God's grace transforms even Cretans. That they would grow and become elders, men of great character that would lead his bride. The reason the character of an elder is above reproach is because the elder is regularly being transformed within the crucible of God's word. That's what we have here. That's what's taken place. We're not in awe of the man, but we're in awe of the God who transforms the man. So number two, another reason when we're looking at these qualifications, an elder is doing nothing beyond the scope of Scripture. What I mean here is an elder is, is simply one who's living by the power of the Spirit in obedience to God's Word. When we look at these qualifications, they're nothing really different than other qualifications, other things that we see talked about when just talking about believers in the Word of God. There's nothing really, really special here about the character of, of these elders here. What it is, is we have men who are walking faithfully in obedience to God's word. And so this is where, let us not set apart elders as some super elite believer. I am not, neither is Kurt, Rich, or Bill. We're not a special class, no. We're just other men within a context of a local church. Trying to obey the word of God faithfully. So we're not having a special class of people here. That's not the point. This is what God calls all of us to live like. All of us to live like. And yes, the character qualifications are high because the elder displays what it looks like to live for Christ. By his words and his actions, he's displaying what it means to live a life empowered by the Spirit of Christ. And 
When Paul writes to the Thessalonians, twice he says, imitate my faith. Twice when writing to the Corinthians, Paul says, imitate my faith. The author of Hebrews says, when when you're looking at your leaders, consider their character and imitate their faith. We ought to imitate the faith of the elders, not because we're trying to necessarily be like the elder, but we're being like the one whom they're trying to be like, Christ, the object of their faith. When Paul wrote in Philippians, to live as Christ, to die as gain, he would say, this is what I desire to do, that in everything I do would be for the glory of Christ, and even when I die, it's so wonderful because I'm going to be with Christ. And elders should be demonstrating that through their life. Nothing different than what any other believer is doing, but uh, an elder is one who has been living that way in front of the context of a church that they would appoint him in this in this role. So an elder is a man of God whose life reflects the character of God as he stewards the house of God. That's what we have here. That's what Paul is telling Titus. Take men who reflect the character of God to steward the house of God. So what does the stewarding look like? So this is where we're going to look at the action of an elder. Seems as though we have different expectations of what an elder is. You get a bunch of people together, an elder should do this, an elder should do this, an elder should do this. And this is, is one, as I was reflecting actually on this this morning, like I love being here. Like here at Timberline, um, from the moment that I began uh, conversations uh, about two years ago with the elders here, um, it was obvious that they loved the Word of God and they desired that the Word would be preached. It was, it was very obvious from the very beginning. Yes, there was other things that they would like to have happen, but prayer and the preaching of the Word is what they desired to be central of the role of the elder. And I love that. And I don't believe that has changed. I believe that's not only reflective of the elders, but I believe that is reflective of the church as a whole. And I think that's amazing. I have been in situations, and I have heard enough other pastors describe the situations that they're in where their churches minimize the preaching and desire many other things, but not the preaching and not the teaching of God's word and not the prayer of an elder. But they would rather have other things, good things, not necessarily bad things, but minimizing the very things that are clear in God's word of what an elder should do. So I, I thank you for that. Like, it's good being here. Like, it is good. And I, I hope that you feel that way too, just about your participation within this local church, is that I do believe this church loves God, loves the word of God, and desires to grow in godliness. Um, So with that, here in verse 9, Paul gives us three roles of an elder. The first one is the foundation for the next two. So number one, verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So the elder holds firm to the word of God. So what does that mean? If he's going to hold firm, we ought to know what it means to hold firm. One, it means you know God's word. I think these are the blanks. You know God's word. This is what an elder... He continues to grow in knowledge. It does not mean that an elder knows the ins and outs of every single doctrine, but they are regularly increasing in their knowledge of God's word. So please don't don't make us pass doctrinal tests every week. Um, But we should be growing. And if you have a question and we don't know, as elders, we should fervently desire to understand that. Second, it means you obey God's word. To hold firm to the word of God means you know and and obey God's word. You cannot hold firm to the word of God and yet live in opposition to that. And this is quite obvious. I mean, from the context, here we have Paul describing the character of an elder, which the only reason a character would have this type, or an elder would have this type of character, is because the word of God has transformed him. So he's, he's, he's knowing the word of God. He's seeking to obey the word of God that he would be above reproach, that others would be able to imitate him. And third, it means you delight in God's word. This holding firm is not done begrudgingly. The elder's not going, oh man, I'm paid to read God's word. You know, opening up, I gotta go preach the word of God. Oh man, we got another one of these teaching sessions. Oh man, I hate teaching this word. That that would kind of go in opposition of the entire role of the elder, holding firm, instructing others, 
And so the, he delights in the word of God because it's trustworthy in every way. That's what we see in verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word of God because it comes from the God who does not lie. Remember that from last week. And this makes sense because to the elder who delights in the word of God, the word is like honey to his lips. It's the light to his path. We said earlier that the word alone has the power to save and transform our lives. Because of this, the elder loves, loves the word because as he pursues, uh, as he grows in knowledge of the word, he's being made more like Christ. That's why he's delighting in it. Because his goal is to be more like Christ. That Christ would be glorified. Remember, as Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So he, he loves the word of God, knowing that as he, he enters into the word, he's regularly being molded by the word, which is the same thing for every single one of us. Men and women, when you open the word of God, God is changing us, transforming us into looking like his son, to operating as he does, to living like he does. So the next two roles, they come out of this foundation of the holding firm. I'm going to do the, the second one first, and then the, the, way it appears in your, the way it appears on the text. Um, an elder rebukes those who, who rebel against the word. We see that in the last part of verse 9, to rebuke those who contradict it. As we go into verses 10 through 16, the context is uh, false teachers have come teaching a false gospel. So we're going to look at that. So I just want to say just... Like two things. Number one, an elder is one who humbly but willingly enters into confrontation for the sake of the church. Willingly and humbly enters into confrontation. When the wolves attack, the elder does not run away, but he runs to fight the wolves. So hear that. That's to be an elder, you're clinging to the word, you're guarding at what, what words are coming into the local church. John Calvin said a pastor needs two voices, one for the gathering of the sheep, the other for the driving away of wolves and thieves. And that's very much needed today. It's very much needed today. But the one we're going to spend primary amount of time on this week is an elder instructs the church with sound doctrine. The word is saved and continues to transform the elder. So it's the very word that he uses that he would preach that others would be saved and transformed. When Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, he's talking, about, he's talking about leadership within the church, elders and pastors. He says in verse 12, elders are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's, that's what elders do. They, they teach the word that the body would be built up. Now notice, it's not the elder who's charged with the building. It's not my role. It's not our other elder's role to build the church. We instruct the church through the word that we together in submission to the, to the word would grow and build the church. And some of you are saying, well, I thought Christ builds the church. Yes, it's through that. <laughs> it's through individuals who are being instructed in the church transformed by the word, transformed by the word that the church is built. So yes, Christ is building it ultimately and he uses us to do that. So how, is the, how does he equip the church? It's by the word. Everything is about the word. Last week, we looked at the centrality of the word, and Paul does not even hesitate as he goes in. And this is why the word is so important. It's the one thing that continues to grow us. It's the one thing that we are built upon. It's the one thing that will transform us. And when we, talked about, when we talk about the word instructing, the word instruct means to appeal, to beg, to encourage, to comfort, to exhort, to implore, to urge. It just has a whole lot of meaning. What I take from that is the elder, with great passion and in various ways, uses the word to comfort, but also to exhort the church that we would grow together in faith. That's what we do, using the word in, in various ways. So what does that look like? Well, um, sermons is one. The, the proclaiming like this, sermons are the primary means in which we as a church grow together, because it is the one time that we'll all gather together that in submission to the word of God, we grow in godliness. And we together are being instructed and growing in, um, through the word. What else does it look like? 
Well, it takes place in every conversation. And I mean, we could unpack under sermons, we could unpack, well, teaching and, you know, whether it's a class or something like that or a small group or, uh, or gospel community or something like that. Um, there's teaching that goes forth, but also in just every conversation that an elder has. An elder studies the word of God so that whether, so he's equipped, so then intentional or unintentional conversation, he is ready to give forth the word of God. So what that looks like is when I go and I meet with people, um, oftentimes, I, I had, like this last week, I had a couple that I was meeting with that had gone through some just difficult circumstances, circumstances I have not gone through. There is no way I am relating to the circumstances that I, I'm, I'm there to, to meet with and to help and to encourage. So I don't go to comfort them with myself, but I bring the word of God that I may then use God's word that he would comfort them through his word. Other times I meet people uh, and they're kind of beginning to, to question their faith. They're straying in their faith. They're beginning to wonder, well, where, where am I? Maybe some sin has, has, has risen in their life. So I meet with them and I bring the Bible again. Because it, when we begin talking and we begin talking about sin, I, I don't want them thinking I'm talking about how they should feel about sin because of the way I feel about sin. I use God's word and say, well, Let's see what God has to say about this. How would God call us to respond in this situation? So those are intentional conversations that I have. And, I, and that, that's, for me, that's what I do a lot. Like throughout a week, I just have a lot of conversations. Those are intentional. But also I have a lot of unintentional conversations uh, where I don't always have necessarily the Bible with me. But often, um, whether I've been at uh, the grocery store, which isn't a whole lot, but it's been weird. Every once in a while, I'm there. And, and even at those times, I have some neat conversations with people. A lot of times, it's a checkout person. Uh, coffee shops. I had a really neat conversation the other day at a driving range for playing golf. Uh, amazing conversation. We just met another believer. All of a sudden, we just started talking and building and encouraging one another in the faith. It was pretty neat. Uh, my neighborhood, uh, I've shared with my, my neighbors and, and beyond that, uh, with my children, We'll just be having conversations with, with any of these people. Uh, and all of a sudden, they tend towards, wow, there's just there's an area right here where I can speak truth into this. And so whether it's because I have the word with me, because I've memorized the word, or maybe because I just know some of the themes that run through the word of God, I'm able to, to speak truth into the situation. Those are unintentional conversations. Those are what most of us are in all the time, right? I mean, so many of us, we're just going throughout our day, and we have all these situations that occur around us, let us begin thinking, how do we begin speaking truth into these situations? Especially men, especially men, as we're growing in godliness, let us be doing this. This is what, as we're all growing, that we would have a character like an elder, that we would begin doing this. Charles Spurgeon said, we ought to know, he said something like this, this is not an exact quote. We ought to know our Bible so well that if we're pricked, the blood that comes from us should be Bible. He said, it instead of like, you know, Oh, positive or whatever. It should be Bibline blood as that comes out of it. So the point is, we know God's word. That at every opportunity, the word is that comes forth. And there's at least one more way an elder instructs with the word. It's his actions. Not only do we, preaching like this, or maybe in a small group, or maybe in a, in a class, or maybe it's just in conversations that we're having, but it's, it's how he lives. It's, it's what he buys. It's how he spends his time. It's how he treats his wife, how he treats his kids. It's everything that he does. Communicates also to the truth of God's word. So when we talk about an elder, we're talking about someone who very much realizes their life is on display for other believers, especially the local church. It's not a bad thing. All of our lives are on display. But as an elder, we're very much aware that is what is taking place. Again, not so people would look towards us, but hopefully by looking through us, they would see Christ. And so one of the things, talking with the elders, we desire here at Timberline is to, to see more men grow in godliness, that we would have more men raised up who potentially could become elders. We want to see that. Right now, when we've been kind of looking, we're going, well, you know, corporately, how are we doing and really growing up men? And, and we, we just want to do better. We want to see that strengthened. 
Which is why Tuesday at 7 o'clock, we're starting the ministry called Every Man Shepherd, which is going to be a means, not the only means, but a means in which we are going to gather as men for the purpose of coming underneath the word of God, that our lives would be transformed, that our character would be transformed, that we would glorify God in all we say and all we do. So that when we leave the way we shepherd our wives, our children, our co-workers, our neighbors would be radically different. Because of the word of God that's changing us. And so, um, wives, I want to encourage you to spur your husbands to come for the sake of your marriage. Husbands, I want to encourage you to come. And if you're not, if you're single, I'm not trying to limit anyone. If you're a male, I want to encourage you to come for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your children for the sake of your neighbors, for the sake of your co-workers, that we together would grow in godliness knowing how can we shepherd those people within our sphere of influence. That's what we want to do. So this is going to be a means in which we're going to begin trying in a more intentional level, begin investing in men that we together would grow. And I don't mean while I'm going to be leading the class that I'm calling people to be like me, very much I am very much in reliance with you as we submit to the Word of God that together we spur one another on in growth. So I encourage you to come. It's at 7 o'clock. Don't let age be a factor. So whether you're in high school or whether you've been out of high school for about 70 years, you just, wherever you fit, (laughs) you're more than welcome to come. For the purpose of growing together, we'd be spur one another on. So I want to encourage you to come that we would do that. Um, so I want to close, and how do we respond to elders? And the question I could also say is, what is the role of a church member in response to elders? What is the role? And after I kind of came up with these things, um, I realized I think we could have said many other things. And so this is what we all do. This is what we all do. And Titus isn't very clear here. He doesn't speak a lot here, so I I pulled from some other areas which speak very clearly about this topic. Number one, a church member willingly submits to the elders. One thing we all like is submission and authority. So we'll start with that one. We'll just put that out there. Submit. Uh, Which is always great when you're an elder and you're preaching this. Like You're just kind of like, how does that come across? Uh, So again... I'll use the word of God instead of me, so it's not me that's saying it, but it comes from the authority of God. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. We saw that earlier. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So you hear that? You hear that last part? So this, this obedience and submission is to your advantage. Like so often we, we neglect, we just submit, obey, we, we kind of stop there. We're like, well, you know, how does that actually work? Um, but it's to your advantage. Now, real quick, this does not mean that you can't think differently than I do. You most likely do. My wife will tell you, I think strangely, I'm weird. It's best if you don't think like I do in many ways. Um, that's, that's why I love plurality of elders right there, people. That's why we need them. We don't want just one guy. It's great to have several elders that we think differently and we spur one another on. It's okay. But even in our disagreements, there is a level of, there is um, an attitude of submission and love and joy. That's what the Bible is telling us as we go forward here. So when we talk about authority in the church, This is not a secular idea. In fact, authority and submission come before creation ever began. When we look back at the triune God, what we see is the Father, God the Father, has supreme authority over the Son and the Spirit. The Son has authority over the Spirit as He submits to the Father. The Spirit submits both to the Father and the Son, yet, while on earth, He seems to have submission potentially over the Son. So what we have here in the Trinity is authority and submission done in perfect love and harmony as they delight in one another. The authority and submission of the church is ultimately a picture of our God. 
So think of it that way, because that's the way God's word is presenting it. So that when we go out into the world and people are saying, well, let's say you have elders and you have these, how does all that work? We're not ultimately telling, well, let me give you my, my church structure. Let me tell you about my God. This is who he is. And because he perfectly demonstrates authority and submission, because he lives in us, we now model that also. So the authority and submission of the church is a picture of our triune God. Number two, a church member has love and respect for the elders. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I want to encourage you to love your elders I say it, it's weird. I'm asking you to love me. Love me. I need love. <laughs> so weird saying that. But it's, it's, it's what the text is saying. It's what God's saying. Love your elders, but, but love Rich. Love Kurt. Love Bill needs it right now. He's downstairs with your kids. Love him. Give him a hug when he comes back up. No, your kids are all amazing. <laughs> I can't even say that. Um, yeah, um, but I want to encourage you, tangibly love your elders. Coming up to them and hugging them and with words. Um, this last year, we went through some, and I mean year just in like 365 days. Uh, we've gone through some pretty difficult issues here on the elder board. Uh, some of you may not know all those issues. Uh, and I'm not going to go into them here, but if you have questions about them, feel free to come up to me or one of the elder, uh, other elders um, but it's been, like, emotionally toiling at times. It's been some hard conversation. How do we go forward? How are we faithful here? How do we demonstrate love in this situation? What is our role here? It's been hard in trying to walk this line at times. But I want to tell you, like, your elders love you. And I'm speaking of them. I mean, I do, but I'm speaking of them, like, trying to point towards them. They love you. Your elders truly, truly love you. Like, we, we, we gather... We gather twice a month. The first meeting is, um, I think it's the first one, we, we mainly talk about just the things that we're doing, uh, you know, what's happening in the church and, and different responsibilities. The second meeting that we have is purely for the encouragement of one another and for the prayer of the church. We just simply come together and say, hey, how have we been shepherding those within Timberline and what needs can we bring now that we can pray for those here at Timberline? And they love doing that. Like it's amazing. I love those meetings. And we have to fight for those because sometimes there's so much other stuff that wants to come in the way. We're like, no. Like we have to push all that other stuff back. We just need to spend time in prayer for these people because these are the people who God has brought. And we love you. So we love you. I want you to know your elders love you with a deep affection. I want to encourage you to love them and go to them. Uh, and don't just do it today. Because it's easy. Like, oh, well, you know, Rich, I love you. Kurt, I love you. It's easy to do it today. Do it today. That's okay. But do it in three weeks from now. Do it in six months from now. You'd regularly come to these men and let them know how you appreciate them. Um, and lastly, a church member prays for the elders. We need prayer. Um, we, we desperately need prayer uh, on how we're to faithfully steward. We need prayer for wisdom. We need God's grace that we would know how to walk correctly. That in difficult situations, how would we respond with God's word? How would we move forward? Our, our mission is to make disciples who make disciples. How can we do that in the best way possible? How do we move all of our resources that way? How do we help each one of us know that we are to make disciples? So we need prayer. And I don't want you just to pray just for us in a, in a regular basis like that, but especially as we're moving towards November, I want you to be in prayer for our church. In November, I think it's around the 17th. I, I could be off on that date, but we're going to have our annual meeting. At our annual meeting, we do great things like approve budgets and all that other wonderful stuff that we love to do. Uh, but we also affirm our elders. Who will be leading this next year? My experience within church and what I've heard from others is that that meeting, that role that we all play a part of 
is often taken too carelessly. We simply take the ballot, yep, I know these guys, and we mark a firm. So one of the things I want to do is, as, as hopefully in time, we will do a better job even of how we present and how we, we, we do just presenting elders, but also I want you to pray. These qualifications, these character things, we do not place people into the position of elder hoping that they will become like an elder. We place people into position as elders who are demonstrating eldership already. Does that make sense? We don't say, and, and this is me, this is what I do. This is where I go, I, I can work with this guy. They're showing a lot of potential. Let, let's go ahead and place them in. And I've done that in too many ways in various roles where let's just say success rate is like one in 10 that way. You don't place people in high levels of authority hoping that they will grow into that. But those who are already demonstrating godliness, we then place those in those positions, not those who we hope will demonstrate godliness. So as we move forward, I just want to encourage you, pray that we not only this year, but in all years future, would appoint those whom God would have as, as a role of elder. And let us pray that God continues to raise up new elders. Let's pray through ministries like the Everyman Shepherd, through just personal discipleship and other means, men will begin raising up that we would have even more elders. Let's be in prayer about those whom we appoint. Um, and above all, I don't want to at all communicate that our hope is in men. It's not to be in Kurt, Rich, me, or Bill. Our hope is in Jesus Christ because he is our ultimate elder. He's our elder brother. He's the one who has given life to the church. He's the one who saves the church, who perfectly shepherds the church. He's the one who guarantees the success of the church. He's the one who purchased the church with his blood. So let us remember, as we're talking about the fact that all of us are to grow in the character of an elder, and that men, we're to grow, that we could become elders. Our hope is not in us, even though God uses finite, imperfect people to accomplish his perfect purposes. But our hope ultimately is that God, who is in control of all things, would shepherd us all well. Let's pray. Our Father, we... We thank you for who you've called us to be. God, we thank you that within the church, you've given us structures such as elders and deacons. As we've looked at the role of elders today, I pray that we are encouraged. I pray that there are those who are encouraged that would aspire to be an elder. I pray, I pray that we would grow in godliness. I pray that you will raise up elders. I pray, though, I pray for the women who are here, that as they look at also the character, they would look at how they're to grow in godliness. And Father, I also lift them up that they would spur their husbands on well in the faith, that their husbands would grow in godliness to become elders. God, I pray for our home lives. It seems like just such an amazing training ground in which you use to grow us. Help us. Help us there that we would, that we as all men would understand you are calling us to shepherd our homes. Help us by your word to be transformed into your image that we would do that well. God, we pray for Timberline. Help us to make disciples for your glory, God. Help us to do that here locally, but also abroad. We thank you for your word. In your name, Jesus. Amen.